0: Um, Could we kneel as we begin this segment with prayer? Loving Father in heaven, thank you again for this opportunity we have to just come aside in this beautiful place and in freedom to open your word and to better understand what is truth. Lord, the time this afternoon will be wasted if Uh, we are not able to hear what you are saying, and if we are not surrendered and willing to do what you are saying. Give us both ears to hear and hearts that are willing to uh, be not only hearers but doers of the word. Remove every distraction. I pray you'll be with me. And uh, Lord, as a result, may we be spirit-filled and willing to go wherever you lead and willing to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could take your Bibles, please, and turn to the second book of Kings. You know, uh, Brother Finley was going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And so, while I don't have a four-part series on that, I do have a two-part series on the Holy Spirit. Um, I did want to share this message with you on the subject of the Holy Spirit, and more specifically, the filling of the Holy Spirit and how important the need of the Spirit is. I like to teach theology through Bible stories. The stories in the Bible really are a springboard to understand theology. You'll find that the stories in the Bible don't contradict good theology. They reinforce it. And uh, so this is an example of that. Turn, please, to 2 Kings 2. And we'll start with uh, verse 1. I think most of us know the story of where Elisha is filled with a double portion of Elijah's spirit. But with your permission, I'd like to walk through this with you and and make some comparisons both with the ministry of Christ and uh, where we are today, what this means for us. This isn't just written for history. This is meant for us today in 2008. How do we apply this? How do we experience what Elisha had? Chapter 2, 2 Kings, verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal." Now, the word Gilgal means rolling or circle. And uh, my son Stephen checking in with me. OK, you go to a meeting now. Yeah. OK. <laughs> 15, don't want him just wandering around. So. Um, i got to start all over again. Well, they'll edit that out. The word Gilgal means circle or rolling. Actually, it got the name because when they crossed over the Jordan River, they reinstituted circumcision there to roll away the reproach from the years when they had lost faith. And uh, each one of the names of the places where Elijah and Elisha go says something about our walk with the Lord. Um, for one thing, have you ever noticed that uh, sometimes it seems like you're going in circles? In your walk with the Lord? So Elijah realizes, look, I'm getting ready to ascend to heaven. God had revealed to Elijah through divine revelation. I'm not sure how it happened, but not only did Elijah know, but the sons of the prophets knew that he was going up, that he was with them for a limited time. And uh, I'm getting a ringing in the microphone, and that's going to wreck the whole tape. I don't know if someone knows how to control the mastery, if they just bring it down a little bit here. I see someone here looks here. you. Either one. All right. Yeah, just try bringing the master down. Do you hear it ringing? Yeah. yeah I don't want to. Test one, two, three, four. Yeah, if you just bring that down, that's probably that a little bit. That sounds better. If nothing else, I'll get, I think it's echoing off. I'm right under a speaker. Oh, that's better. That's what it was. It's called feedback. Now i got to start all over again. <laughs> you know, if if I was a kid today, as when I was uh, growing up, I would be medicated. I can <laughs> promise you that. Because I, I had an attention deficit disorder, and I've never gotten over it. You can distract me so easily. It's just pitiful. All right, where was I? <laughs> All right, so the Lord had revealed that he was going to take Elijah up into heaven uh, supernaturally. And before he ascends, he wants to go around and to strengthen the schools of the prophets. Now, this is very much like what Jesus did. By the way, the name Elijah, two principal characters in our story today are Elijah, which means my God is Jehovah, and Elisha, which means my God is Savior. And they're both like the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, um, Elisha's, Jesus' name is Yahshua, which is Elohim, is Savior, and Elisha's name very much, uh, very similar. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, you notice he went and he appeared to the disciples and the apostles various times for about 40 days, then he ascended. The other thing that was interesting is when Christ ascended, he then sent the Spirit. When Elijah ascends to heaven, he gives a double portion of the Spirit to Elisha. And so you're going to see a lot of parallels here between the ministry of Christ and what Elisha's doing. You know, one thing that really... Uh, thrills me with what I see happening here at GYC. And just what I've observed in the short time I've been in the Adventist church, when I say that uh, comparatively, is that there's a grassroots movement to train laity for ministry. And you've got these schools like Arise and like AFCO and like Black Hills that are training laymen to do ministry and evangelism. And I tell you, that just thrills me to the core. Because... uh, not everybody, because of you know finances or where they are in their lives, can always go back to school and go the whole route of seminary. And I just praise the Lord. I, I don't know, many of you may know that uh, when I became a Christian, I mean, I had three kids and a high school dropout. And it just wasn't practical for me to go back and, and start from scratch and get a theology degree. And so the first evangelism I did was just as a layman. I started out working with uh, the pastor in the church I attended and uh, and little by little, the Lord just was blessing and I was bringing people to Sabbath school and bringing people to evangelistic meetings and giving Bible studies. And, you know, I can't tell you the whole story because we don't have enough time, but God just started opening doors and so much of it was ministry as a layman. But what I noticed was happening was all these pastors and conference people said, Doug, you've got gifts for ministry. You ought to be a pastor you ought to go to school to study to be a pastor, and I believe in that, don't misunderstand. But they automatically assume that if you've got the ability to leave someone to the Lord, that you're supposed to you know, be ordained as a pastor. I think every member ought to learn how to bring people to the Lord. And not every member needs to then take over a church. Because first of all, some are pastors and some are evangelists. You notice that's exactly what the Bible says: some pastors, some evangelists. It stands the reason that there are some pastors that are not evangelists, and there are some evangelists that are not pastors. Does that make sense? So they're, they're different gifts. And there are some laymen that have pastoral gifts that are very nurturing, and then there are some laymen that have very evangelistic gifts, and the you know gifts of persuasion. And so. Uh, You know, it's just exciting to see these different schools of the prophets. That's what you're seeing today with these different groups that are are springing up. And so it's just it's very exciting for me. And I'm hoping uh, almost it'd be great if everyone, no matter where they are in their walk, had time to go to one of these programs, either the short version or the long version, and get training in how do I lead a soul to Christ. And I enjoyed the the talk that um, the young lady gave today um, talking about that. Anyway, so Elijah says to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. Now, the word Bethel means, who knows, house of God. Bethlehem, house of bread. And uh, I always thought it was interesting that Jesus, who is the bread of life, was born in a town called the house of bread. And then they put him in a trough where you put grain, bread, for animals. So you got the bread of life, born in the house of bread, placed in a bread trough. Isn't that something? So Bethel means house of God. And this is where Jacob had that vision of the ladder that reached to heaven. That's where it got his name. And Elisha said to Elijah, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel together. Simple lesson. When the Lord goes to the house of God, we ought to go with him. Elijah was the master of Elisha. Elisha followed him wherever he went. Who are the 144,000? These are they that follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. Are you willing to follow Jesus wherever he goes? Sometimes it's going to seem like he's leading you in circles, and sometimes it's going to, he'll be leading you to the house of God. And I remember hearing a Baptist preacher say one time, I never forgot, if you don't have enough faith to get you to church once a week, how do you think you're going to have enough to get you to heaven? And I worry. I'm a pastor. And, you know, I got folks saying, Hey, we missed you last week. you okay? Well, you know, I had a rough week, and so I slept in. Well, this week, you know, we just decided to keep the Sabbath out in nature. So we went to the beach. Or we went snow skiing. It's just really hard to picture a person hot-dogging down moguls thinking about Jesus (laughs) on the Sabbath day. But, you know, this is an attitude that's sort of becoming more pervasive. It's like church is optional. And, um, by the way, do you know, It's not only part of the Sabbath command that you rest on that day. Part of the Sabbath command is that you go to church. If you look in Leviticus 23, it says the Sabbath is a holy convocation. The word convocation means convening. I was absolutely nauseated when I heard a Seventh-day Adventist minister say at a camp meeting, that will remain nameless right now, in front of all these folks who are already struggling in their faith, there's nothing in the Bible that says you need to go to church on Sabbath. You can go out in nature and keep the Sabbath. You don't need to go to church. I thought, oh, man. That's not true. It's Part of, it's part of Sabbath keeping is corporate worship. And what was the example of Jesus? In the Sabbath, as his custom was, he went to the synagogue. He, that word synagogue means the gathering. It's a holy convocation. They came together. He read the scriptures. It's corporate worship that we, we engage in. Now you know, if you're... Off in the middle of nowhere, and, and there is no church. And many times, our family's been in some dark county where there just wasn't a church. But I can also tell you a lot of stories where we drove 100 miles to church one way because that was the closest one because we thought this is important. On vacation, our family thought we were crazy. I mean, they're just, everyone's together, we're having a big celebration. We said, We're going to church, but it's Christmas Day or you know, whatever they said. I said, It's the Sabbath, and God is more important then the 4th of July or whatever the occasion is. And we're taking the family, we're going to church. So he said, I'm going to follow wherever you go. And you go to Bethel, I go to Bethel. And he said it with a vow. So the sons of the prophets, verse 3, who were at Bethel, they came out to Elisha and they said to him, do you not know the Lord will take away your master from your head today? Meaning from being over you. He said, yes, I know it, hold your peace. In other words, you will no longer be the lowly apprentice of Elijah. You will be a prophet in your own right. You're going to get promoted. Isn't this excited? He won't be ordering you around. You're not going to have to do any of the menial service that you've been involved in. You'll be free to be your own man. And how did Elisha respond to that idea that uh, Elijah was leaving and he wouldn't have him bossing him around anymore? Broke his heart. He was happy to serve Elijah. Can you imagine being the servant of Elijah? You've all read about the mansion that Elijah lived in. And all his servants, uh, like the ravens. Um, And Elijah, when he finally did find a place to live, it was with a widow who had, from day to day, a handful of meal and a little bit of oil left. I mean, he lives out in the woods. He runs and hides from uh, Ahab, and to be the servant, sleeps under a broom tree out in the desert when the angel appears to him. He's starving to death, so the angel has to feed him. Can you imagine being the attendant of somebody like that? I mean, it's not a lot of, not a lot of benefits. <laughs> and But you know what? One time it says in, um, I believe it's in 2 Kings, it is, that when they identified, when Jehoshaphat identified Elisha, he said, this is the prophet who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Meaning before Elijah would eat, Elisha would pour the water and he'd wash his hands for him. He'd wash his feet for him. He was the servant of Elijah. How many of you would like to be the servant of Elijah? Talk about, uh, wouldn't that be a learning experience? What kind of health plan did it have? Well, he can work miracles. So that's pretty good. Uh, didn't pay very well. Uh, you know, didn't have a real good retirement on earth policy, but it had out of this world benefits, right? And so when they said, Oh, you won't have him ordering you around anymore, he said, Hold your peace. I don't even want to hear about it. He was happy to serve him. You know, I don't want to use up all my time talking about this point, but for a group like this, I think I feel impressed just to say a little more. Our minds have been distorted by the culture in which we live because our concept of success is not like the biblical concept. Uh, In the Bible, it was considered honorable to work, even if it meant some menial service. And I'm always marveling when I read the story of Abraham who has. He's got 300 men in his camp that are soldiers, not counting all the other hundreds of servants. He was fabulously wealthy. But when visitors came by, he goes and he personally sees to the dinner. Sarah starts to knead bread with her own hands, and he personally took responsibility. And, you know, Paul was a tent maker, uh, even though he was also an educated man. Service, how did they pick a wife for Isaac? Did Eliezer say, I'm going to stay outside the gates of this city, Lord. And the girl that comes out, she's dressed in the finest clothes. If I can tell she's shopping at Nordstrom's, she'll be the one. (laughs) Whatever chariot she rides in, if it's a a rolls chariot, she's the one. Because she's successful. Who else is going to be a mother in Israel but someone who's got the trappings of money? But what was the test that he applied to see who is going to be the wife for the wealthiest prince... In Canaan, will she water camels? Do you know? I read just yesterday that a camel in one sitting—this is a whole caravan of camels—can drink twenty-two gallons in one sitting. Just well, they don't sit, but you know, in, in one drinking, <laughs> at one visit to the bar, they can drink twenty-two gallons. And so when she said, "Let me water your here's some water for you," and "Let me water your camels," that's a service. So when you're thinking about what you're going to do with your life, you know, I go to a lot of schools. I just came back from Montemorelos University. That's a great school. I've spoken at, you know, colleges across the country. And uh, we've got a lot of good schools, good teachers, good students. But there is a trend that worries me. When I talk one-on-one to a lot of the young people, I say, what are you going to do? So much of what they're thinking about is, well, you know, I've got to find something. Of course, first thing you got to think about is how is it going to pay? Because I, before I can do anything, I've got to make sure it pays enough. And, you know, I don't find that's biblical. I think you need to scrape that right off the grill. And you need to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Whatever it is. You want me to bust tables in some foreign country so I can be a missionary? That's what I'm going to do. So often we first consider, we consult our, our comfort and convenience. Then we say, once I'm comfortable and if it's convenient enough, Lord, then I'm willing to serve you. But that's not what Jesus says when he says, take up the cross. Um, Wherever he leads, I'm going to follow him, no matter how comfortable or inconvenient it might be. So, Elijah says to Elisha, verse 4, Elisha, stay here, please. Now, before the sermon's over, I'm going to mess this up because Elijah and Elisha sound a lot alike. I've never gotten through the sermon without mixing those names up somehow. So I'm just telling you ahead of time. He said, stay here, please. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Jericho means fragrance. It's one of the oldest words in the Bible. And sometimes the Lord leads us in circles, sometimes to the house of God, sometimes fragrant places. He goes to um, Jericho and the sons of the prophets who were with him in Jericho. They said to Elisha, do you not know the Lord is going to take away your master from being over you today? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep silent. Hold your peace. I don't want to hear about it. And Elijah said to him, stay here, please. You see what's happening now? He's going from one of the schools of the prophets. It doesn't say how long he was there. may have stayed a few days, tried to encourage them, exhort them in the word of God. Now, you realize in in, uh, the southern kingdom of Jerusalem, the Levites principally took care of the proclamation of the word, but the northern kingdom had sort of split off. And most of the Levites were in the southern kingdom because... Uh, Jeroboam, the king in the north, which is where Elijah worked, he had sort of kicked all the Levites out. He said, we're going to appoint our own priests. Well, that made it a little difficult because the priesthood had sort of become corrupt in the north. They were taking just, you know, whoever could pay a bribe to Jeroboam or whoever the king was. They got a salary and they got to be a priest. The real ministry of the word then fell upon the shoulders of the schools of the prophets. And they were laymen that were then sharing the word. And uh, I'll let you apply that however you see fit. But uh, I think we're facing some of the same circumstances today. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho said the same thing. Don't you know you're gonna lose your master today? He said, hold your peace. Verse six, then Elijah says to him, stay here, please. I don't wanna wear you out. He said, I'm just, I'm making this circuit. Said the Lord has sent me to Jordan now, the word Jordan means descending. It's the most interesting piece of geography in the world because, well, I got a board there. Well, it begins up in the mountains of Lebanon, runs down to the Sea of Galilee, then it runs through there, runs out the other side of the Sea of Galilee, runs down to the Dead Sea, and it goes from way above sea level to the lowest point on earth. It's one of the most radically descending rivers, and it's in this big valley. The lowest part of the valley is the lowest point on earth, 1,300 feet below sea level. That's why baptism took place in the Jordan, because baptism is a symbol of death, burial and resurrection. And so when Elijah says to Elisha, the Lord has led me to Jordan, that means the Lord has led me to death. It's descending. Um, there's a reason that Naaman was washed in the Jordan River. He said, can't I go back to Uh, Syria and get washed in the rivers of Abana and Parfar? Aren't they better than all the waters? And he was right. But God said the Jordan. John the Baptist picked the Jordan. He could have baptized in one of the many pools that they had. Could have baptized in the Sea of Galilee. But he baptized him in this river that represents death. Have you ever noticed how many times in the hymns it refers to the Jordan? Those hymn writers were great theologians, and they understood that the Jordan represented death. The children of Israel, before they got from the promised land... No, so said that wrong. Before the children of Israel got to, yeah, the promised land from the wilderness, what did they have to cross? How do most people get from this life to the next? Do you have to cross the Jordan? you got to go through death to get there. Now, I'm not saying people go right there when they die. I'm just saying that that's the barrier between this world and the next one. It's death. And so now he says, I'm going down to... Uh, The Jordan. And Elisha says, I'm going with you. Jesus said, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. Where did Jesus take his cross? To his death. And so what is Christ asking us to do when he asks us to follow him? When Jesus bids a man to follow him, he's really bidding him to come and die. He who will seek to save his life will lose it. But he will lose his life for my sake and the gospel he will find it. If you try to live for yourself in your own happiness, you're going to lose everything. But if you say, Lord, I'm willing to spend and be spent for you, that's when you really find it. So again, Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I am not going to leave you. You know, I love that verse in the book of Ruth where uh, Naomi's lost everything and she's going back to Bethlehem, another significant story. And Oprah follows her. Is it Oprah? Oprah? <laughs> <laughs> follows her for a little ways. And, uh, you know, because it was always nice that you, you take somebody to the door. Dear Karen, bless her heart, has tried to train me. Uh, I had absolutely no manners. Uh, that, that kind of social grace. You know, if someone came over to my house. Uh, and they said they're leaving. And I'd say, all right, we'll see you later. And she said, can you get up, walk them to the door? She'd get there in the door and she'd stand there, and you walk them out. And, and, see, and this, I'm going, why? She said, they said goodbye. It's enough. They're leaving. They know where I live. They want to come back. They come back. <laughs> she said, no, you're supposed to walk them to the door. You know, and it's just taken her a long time. But anyway, so I've learned now to stand in the door obediently, and you know, you wave, and people leave. <laughs> But that, in Hebrew, they always did that. In many countries, When you leave, the people actually walk you part of the way down the road. It's like they're letting you know we're not anxious for you to leave. And of course, you know, when I have company, I usually am anxious for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> But anyway, so you walk them down the road and you stay with them. So she was doing that, being cordial. But Ruth said, no, this is not just a gesture of kindness. She said, I'm going with you. And she said, no, no, go back. She says, you've, you've, you've walked far enough for appearances. You can go home now. She says, no, this is not for appearances. And she made that beautiful statement, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And God do so to me, and more also, if aught but death separates you and me. I've always thought, you know, that's really good when I do weddings. I don't do very many. And I, I discourage people from asking me because it's just not good luck to have the name bachelor signed on your certificate (laughs) but uh, when i do a wedding i love to quote that uh, because it's such a commitment where you go i will go where you lodge i will lodge your people are my people when you get baptized that's a verse you ought to read when you join the church your people are my people your god is my god where you die there will i die and there will i be buried we are crucified with christ we're buried with christ we're risen with christ It's that kind of saying, I'm going, I'm going to stick to you. You know, Moses, before he died, he said, I command you this day that you cleave unto the Lord. And you know what that word is? Glue. That you're glued. They did have glue back then. It was primitive. That you're glued to the Lord. And that's really, you know, we always get into trouble when we follow from a distance. And we do it for appearances for a little while. uh, Or why people are looking And, you know, this was the thing that Jesus said when he began his ministry, that the scribes and Pharisees were so preoccupied with what men thought about the religion, they didn't really care what God thought. It was all for outward appearances. You know, they gave to be seen, they fasted to be seen, they prayed to be seen. Instead of it really being heartfelt, Lord, no matter what anyone thinks, what anyone sees, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And so this is what Elisha is saying, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Now, is there anyone here that doesn't know when this story ends, Elisha has a double portion of the Holy Spirit. Does everyone here know that? Would you like to have a double portion of the Spirit? Then look at how Elisha, how tenaciously Elisha is following Elijah. And that right there is, I think, one of the most important clues. In the last days, is God going to pour out the Spirit again in that kind of Pentecostal measure? Do we want to be recipients of that when it happens? Oh, yeah. What would have happened if uh, you know someone said, well, you know, I don't want to go to the upper room today because well, I've been there for 10 days. I've been there nine days. And they missed the day of Pentecost. But boy, I tell you, the ones that stuck with it until it happened, it, there, there needs to be this persistent resolve, this tenacity, that I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. And that's how you receive the filling. So, they go on to Jordan together. And we follow Jesus down to the Jordan. Of course, the sons of the prophets come to him again. And they, uh, they warn him. And it says in verse 7, And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them. Interesting. Fifty men. What does the word Pentecost mean? Pentecost was fifty days after the Passover. Penta, like Pentagon 5. This story is sort of a, an echo of Pentecost in the New Testament. Elijah sends to heaven. The Holy Spirit falls on Elisha. Fifty men from the sons of the prophets watching from a distance. The Jordan River. This is what happened with Jesus in Pentecost. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. While the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now, Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up. Now, there's a problem. This is probably in the springtime because you can get across the Jordan sometimes of the year, but in the spring it floods. And uh, they can't get across without doing something to part the water. There's this obstacle. Um, what time of year did Jesus die? Springtime. And Elijah took his mantle. Another word for that is his robe. And he rolled it up and he struck the water. And it was divided this way and that. So the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Oh, you know, if you get this point, then your time here this morning will not be in vain. What is it that's going to get us... Not morning, I just realized that. It is actually morning somewhere, but not here right now. What is going to get us across the Jordan River clean on the other side. See, not only did the river part, but the river parted and they went across on dry ground. And what that means is they did not go slogging through the mud. They went across and they came up clean on the other side. He took his mantle, that's his robe, and he rolled it up and he struck the water. Any of you men ever have brothers, you have a rat tail fight? Know, is who knows? Maybe he took his mantle and went, crack! And the Jordan River just split like when the children of Israel crossed. It always seems more dramatic to me that it happened that way. And the two of them went across on dry grounds. And, of course, there's 50 people from the Sons of the Prophets watching. You know, that's where you get that uh, spiritual swing low, sweet chariot coming forward to carry me home. I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? And that's talking about when Elijah crossed the, the Jordan River. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So they crossed over. And then after they cross over, the waters fold and they begin to flow back again. Now they're walking off in the wilderness together, which is very, uh, is very interesting and symbolic. And he says, uh, So it was when they would crossed over, Elijah says to Elisha, Ask what I can do for you before I am taken away from you. Ask. What does the word Elijah mean? My God is Jehovah. What had Elijah done before? Let's make a little list. This is a fella that he prays, and it stops raining for three and a half years. He prays again, and it starts raining. And as a matter of fact, it just floods. He prays, fire comes down from heaven. So he prays, he gets fire and rain. That's where James Taylor got the title for the song. I don't know that. I just made that up. But he, he did. And one day he prays, fire comes down. He prays again, rain comes down. That hey, guy's you got power. And that's not the only time. Three times Elijah prays and fire comes down. Two other times the king of Israel sent uh, an entourage of soldiers to arrest him. And they were very disrespectful. And they said, man, oh God, get down here right now. The king wants to talk to you. Of course, the, this is chapter one of the same book. And Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 soldiers. Fire comes whoosh down, burns him and his horses up, just all smoldering carcasses. And the king says, where are they? How come they're not back? Send another 50 soldiers. And so the king, this king was stubborn. You know, I would have repented right there when I heard that. Sends another 50 soldiers, and they come down, and they're not any nicer. And the captain of that 50, Elijah's just sitting up on a hill like a spiritual aesthetic. He says, man of God, get down here right now. The king wants to see you. Don't make us come after you. And he said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven. And heavens open up and fire comes down. It's more than a lightning bolt because it's 50 of them. It Burns them all up. Now, if I was a second group of 50, I would have seen all the other carcasses and I would have been a little more humble about that. <laughs> so the king, he's so stubborn. He sends another 50 soldiers to arrest him. This third captain, he's, got, uh, he's had an attitude adjustment. He comes a little more carefully. He sees still the smoldering carcasses of a hundred now, soldiers and horses. And he comes up to the man of God, and he just humbles him and says, oh, man of God. He says, you know, the king sent these soldiers, and you burn them all up, and I've been ordered, and I'm following orders. Will you please come? He says, well, since you're nice, I'll come. And he came. So you just got to be nice. It depends on how you ask. But now, this is the man, Elijah you know, goes out into the wilderness and God sends an earthquake to teach him a lesson. There's an earthquake and there's a great wind that tears the rocks and there's a fire sweeps through the desert and God does all this for one man. I mean, he's got a connection with God. He's fed by ravens. I always had a theory. Where did those ravens get the bread during a famine? I thought they took them from Ahab and Jezebel when they weren't looking. The ravens were coming again. Anyway, and so, this is the fellow. I just want you to have a context of who Elijah is. He's the greatest prophet. We talked about him this morning. And so, he's walking along with you. He says, is there something you'd like to ask me before I'm taken away from you? Wow, what would you ask for? At Central Church right now, I'm doing a new series on Solomon. I've never done that before. And And, of course, God appears to Solomon at night. Solomon offers thousands of of animals to sacrifice to the Lord. And it says Solomon loved the Lord and the Lord appears to him in a dream and he says, ask what I should do for you. Wow, that's pretty exciting. What would you ask for? Now this is where I think we get mixed up. We think, wouldn't it be nice if we could have the Lord ask us that question? And we kind of contemplate, what would I ask for? If I had that kind of a blank check, and uh, you know we fantasize. If we had these wishes, if I had a billion dollars, what would I do? And I've had those fantasies before too. But uh, I want you to know, I always already know I'm going to pay my tithe first thing. <laughs> but um, I used to think about—I watched too much TV as a kid. You know, you find these genies in a bottle, and uh, if you had a genie and. And uh, they give you three wishes. And you know, it's always so aggravating. Invariably, in all these stories and analogies of people who find the genies, they always waste their wishes somehow because they're not thinking. And and uh, I heard one story about three guys that were shipwrecked on this deserted island out in the South Pacific somewhere. and. Uh, They were just there for days, just waiting to be rescued. Months went by, nothing, and they're just all they have to eat is coconuts and a few crabs they can collect on the beach. Just blistering in the sun all day long, drinking coconuts milk, watching the waves come in, and there's nothing to do. All a little irritated with each other, just want to get off the island. Now one day they see that there's something floating on the water, on the waves, coming closer and closer to the island. They all get up and walk out of the shade and get down to the shore and wonder what is. Waves are slowly bringing it in. Finally, they all kind of dash out in the water to grab it. This shiny object, and they grab it, and lo and behold, it's a genie bottle. True story, if you're an evangelist. And this genie pops out. And uh, he looks around, he says, well, normally I give out uh, you know, three wishes, but since three of you have gotten the bottle at the same time, uh, I'll give you each one wish. Well, one guy in the group who was pretty fast, he said, look, he says, I already know what I want. He said, I'm so tired of this blistering heat on this island, he says, all I've been able to think about is snow skiing in Aspen, Colorado. He said, I want to be snow skiing in Aspen, Colorado. Poof, he disappeared. And the second one saw that his friend was gone. He said, hey, this must be real. I said, well, I know what I want. He said, it's been coconut, coconut, coconut on the menu. I just keep dreaming about all these other things I'd rather eat. He said, I want to be at the biggest, best smorgasbord in New York City. And poof, he disappeared. Now, the third one is obviously not as quick as the other two, because it's taken him a while. And he says, oh. He says, one wish? And the genie says, one wish. Boy, there's so many options. I'm not sure what I should ask for. I wish my friends were here. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of many. <laughs> Poof. <laughs> uh, you know what I really like is the one I heard about this man. He found a genie. genie said, you got three wishes. <laughs> and so he did the typical things. He said, you know, I want a Swiss bank account with a billion dollars. And poof, he had this bank account with a, a billion dollars in S- Switzerland. And he said, I want the, the fastest Ferrari, red one, in the world. Poof, he had this beautiful, red, fast Ferrari. And then the third thing he says, he says, now I want you to make me irresistible to women. Oh. And he turned into a box of chocolates. <laughs> 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 that probably would work anywhere but here. but. <laughs> So be careful. <laughs> now you know why I say all that? It's because we got this idea in our mind. We fantasize, oh, if I could just have anything, you know, if I could just wish. If if Elijah would ask me that, what would I ask for? If if God would ask me that, what would I ask for? And you know what I think we fail to realize? He did ask you that. He does ask you that. Jesus, who is the God of Elijah, who gave Elijah his spirit, and God the Father who talked to Solomon, or I'm saying the God that talked to Solomon is Jesus. And Jesus said, ask. Didn't he say that? Did he print a retraction anywhere that you know of? Is it still true when he said, ask? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask oh now what's the one thing that Jesus specifically mentions that we should ask for how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit now what is it that um, what did Solomon ask for wisdom and now in chronicles it says wisdom you know in uh, in first kings Solomon never even mentions the word wisdom he says that you'll give me an understanding heart to know how to discern between right and wrong to judge your people But you know what they they really are asking for? It's the Holy Spirit. Because one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is wisdom. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. It's one of the seven spirits of God. Wisdom. And James says, if any of you lack wisdom, it's it's a gift of the Spirit. So they're asking for the Holy Spirit. Did God give it to them? Is God less willing to give it to us today? Now, back up. Why would the Lord so openly ask Elisha and Solomon, what do you want? What's the most powerful thing that God could give to any mortal? Spirit. Think of the most powerful Christians in the Bible. What made them the most powerful Christians? What made Samson so strong? Spirit of the Lord came on him. What made David sing so well and write so well? Spirit of the Lord came on him. I mean, how could Elijah outrun Ahab's chariot? It says the Spirit of the Lord came on him. So what's the best thing that you can ask for? The Holy Spirit. It's the most important thing. But he gives it, it's a power. Y- do you put a, uh, an 11-year-old behind the wheel of a, a 12-cylinder, 400-horsepower car? Why? Because they're not old enough. They don't have their license yet. They can't handle it. They can't be trusted with it. If you're totally committed to the Lord, if He gives you that, will you use it right? How much money do you give your kids? How much can they handle? Right? And the the more faithful you are with that which is least, the more He'll give you. If you are faithful to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in simple things, God's going to speak to you more directly. If you're faithful to be used of God in His Spirit in ministry, in simple areas where he's giving you opportunity, he'll give you more. Doesn't the Bible teach this? This is this is a simple principle. He could trust Elisha. He could trust Solomon, love the Lord, so God gave him a lot of the Spirit because he would then do God's will when he had the Spirit. But if, if we're slighting and grieving and neglecting the Spirit of God and the basics of the Christian walk, can God trust us with a Pentecostal measure of the Spirit now? See what I'm saying? God is not up in heaven watching a clock and saying, you know, I'm going to pour out my spirit, and I've got it marked on my calendar, and just the time's not quite ready yet. He's not looking at a watch. He's not looking at a calendar. He's looking at us. And he wants to give us the spirit. When did he pour out the spirit on the apostles? When it happened to get to the tenth day or when they were ready? It happened to be the tenth day, but it's when they were ready. When did Elijah pray for the rain on Israel? When the famine had reached the worst part, or when they were ready. It's when the people were ready. They then bowed before the Lord. They said, the Lord, he is God. They finally had humbled themselves. They acknowledged the Lord. They got rid of the prophets of Baal. There was reform. Some of us might have some prophets of Baal in our lives. So there was this reform. And then he said, Lord, I think they're ready. Let's send the rain. So God wants to send the Spirit as soon as we're ready. God cannot fill a full vessel. If we will empty ourselves, he will fill us. You believe that? So, you know, I love this in the Bible when... I keep an eye on my time here. He says, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken away from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. You know, we think about who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah first one to come in the spirit and power of Elijah was not John the Baptist, though John the Baptist did. It was Elisha. So when God said, when Jesus talked about the return of Elijah, the Jews were so mixed up in the time of Christ, they were thinking Elijah was going to be reincarnated. That's why when the religious leaders came to John the Baptist and they said, are you Elijah? He said, no. But was he the Elijah that was prophesied? Yes. They were asking the wrong question. They were saying, are you Elijah reincarnated? He said, no. They misunderstood. Did he come in the spirit and power of Elijah? Yes. Now, is God going to have people in the last generation that will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah? First you've got Elijah who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Then you have Elisha who comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Then you've got John the Baptist who comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. But in Malachi chapter 4, it says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Has the great and dreadful day of the Lord happened yet? And when they asked Jesus, Jesus said, I'm telling you that Elisha, Elijah, rather. see, I told you I'd mess up. Elijah has come and they've done to him whatever they will and Elijah will come. Do you get that? Jesus said, Elijah will come? And Elijah has come. Elijah had come because it was John the Baptist. He had already been arrested and beheaded at this point when Christ makes that statement. But he said, and he will come. So, is God going to still fill people with the spirit and power of Elijah in the last days? I wonder who that's going to be. I think it's going to be an army of people. I think they're going to be like the 144,000. And the same work that Elijah and Elisha did in... Israel in revival. The same work that John the Baptist did preparing the world for Jesus' first coming. God is going to have an army of Elijah's in the last days preparing the world for the second coming. And I would trust that some of them are hearing my voice right now. And uh, I don't think you're going to see folks in the last days that are part of the 144,000 walking around with some marathon number on their back <laughs> to help us identify which one of the 144,000 They are, but I think that some of them are walking the earth today and that God wants us to be filled with his spirit. That's the first prerequisite to doing the work of John the Baptist and Elijah and Elisha, which is a work of revival and preparation. We're not done yet. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Why did he ask for a double portion? Was he being greedy? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, who got a double portion according to Jewish law? The firstborn son. Who was Elijah's firstborn son? You ever heard about Mrs. Elijah? How'd you like to be married to Elijah? He probably never made it home. He's running all these years from Ahab. and I don't think God would have taken him to heaven if he had had a family. Left them behind? I think that he was a bachelor, which is why I won. <laughs> No, really. Uh, by the way, Mrs. Bachelor will be here tomorrow. Not too often does a woman get married and become a bachelor. But my <laughs> wife did. Um, so uh, he, he said, basically, look, Elisha was called by Elijah. Elijah walked to him one day while he was out plowing. By the way, Elisha was a wealthy son of this farmer says he's out plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That's like 12 John Deere tractors. They're very expensive. And Elijah comes along, this poor prophet, doesn't have a place to lay his head, and he puts his uh, cloak on his shoulders, and that means you're being called to be my apprentice to succeed me. And he, without hesitation, says, let me tell my mother and father goodbye. And to make sure that he'll never turn back, Elisha kills the oxen he's plowing with, offers them to the Lord, burns them on the implements, the wooden implements that he's plowing with. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, any man puts his hand to the plow and looks back. I think Jesus is thinking about the echoes of Elisha when he said, I'm not going to look back on the wealth and inheritance that my earthly family can offer me. I'm willing to follow you, Lord. And he turns his back on all that. He loses his earthly inheritance and he goes to follow this poor prophet. So when Elijah says, look, I'm going to heaven, which is tantamount to dying... I mean, you know, you can't, when someone goes to heaven, they just disappear like that, then you activate the will, right? And so what was he going to receive? The firstborn received a double portion. So Elisha is saying to Elijah, you've been like my father. I left my earthly father. I want a double portion of your greatest asset, which is the Holy Spirit. Is that fair? There's another reason. You know who else got a double portion? you remember when Hannah... Was, she was, had no children and she was being terribly abused and mistreated by Peninnah. And Elkanah says he loved her and he gave her a double portion. So because he was adopted and because he was loved, he asked for a double portion. You see the context of that now? It says, if you love me and if you've adopted me, then I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, how does Elijah respond? He said, you have asked a hard thing. And the word hard there really means you've asked a big thing. Does God want us to pray big prayers? He does. Is the Lord pleased or disappointed when we ask big prayers? When Joshua says, Lord, I want the sun to stand still, does God look down and fold his arms and say, come on, Joshua. You know, it's been a long day. And I'm taking care of this other galaxy over here. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing too hard for the Lord. So you're not going to ask God anything and he's going to go, I think the Lord is more disappointed more frequently that we ask too little than ever that we ask too much. That's why Jesus said, up to now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask that your joy might be full. He's always encouraging us to ask. God knows what you need, but you've got to ask. There's a lot of things you've never received that God wanted to give you because you didn't ask for it. It's scary to think about it. The warehouse when we get to heaven... It's going to be empty. And we'll say, why was this built? Well, that's to hold all the blessings I wanted to give you, but you never asked for them. Wouldn't that be sad? And he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken up from you, it shall be so. But if not, it will not be so. So there's a prerequisite to the prayer being answered. What is it? You've got to see me when I'm taken up. And so... It happened as they continued on and they talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared and horses of fire and it separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. As they're walking and talking together, you notice it's in the context of they're just having a relationship. They're walking along and they're talking and who knows what they were talking about. They were friends. That's when all of a sudden something sudden and amazing happened. When are we going to receive the Holy Spirit? It's going to be in the context of a personal relationship with Jesus. It may catch you off guard when it happens. You may not know the day it's going to happen. It could happen suddenly. That's what it says in Acts chapter 2. Suddenly, the place where they were assembled was shaken. They prayed there many times before. And suddenly it happened. And I think suddenly it's going to happen again. And the Bible says, He went up by a whirlwind. Verse 12, Now Elisha saw it. Christ said, if I am lifted up, I will draw. What does that mean? A position of visibility. What does that mean? So they can see. You and I are to lift up Christ so people can see. The Holy Spirit is poured out when we see Christ is up in heaven interceding in our behalf. That he's alive. He's at the right hand of the power of heaven. How did the children of Israel win the battle against the Amalekites? Moses went up on a mountain where they could see him. And when they saw him lifting up the rod of God and interceding on their behalf, stretching out his hands, they won the victory. Something wonderful happened. You know, seeing is very important. How was Paul converted? Saw the Lord. What converted Zacchaeus? He wanted to see Jesus. The thief on the cross, what brought about his conversion? He saw Jesus lifted up right next to him. I could go through the litany of stories in the Bible and they saw Christ. They saw him lifted up. And it brought about a transformation in their lives. How do we see Jesus today? Through his word, through the lives of those that live for Christ, through nature, sometimes through providence, but principally through his word. So if you would like to see him, you spend time in the word. We don't know what he looked like except for what's right here. And that has a transforming power on our lives. And it says, and he saw it. And he cried out, my father, my father. I told you he believed he was adopted. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Don't miss this, friends. I see I'm running out of time, but you got to get this. He took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. And he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. Notice, when Elijah first called Elisha, he symbolically put his mantle on the shoulders of Elisha and said, do you want to come be my prophet? He said, I will. Elijah took it back. That's called justification. He basically said, look, I'm going to cover you up. Uh, This is my mantle, but I'm going to give you credit for it now. You follow me. But now that Elijah has ascended to heaven, I can just picture this as Elijah's going up in this vortex of fire into heaven. He tells the angels, hold on, hang on. Stop the horses. And he throws his mantle down to him. It says it had fallen from him. And that basically said, you are now the prophet in Israel. And you notice it didn't land on him. He had to take it up. Christ has left his robe behind. You know, the only thing that Jesus had, only earthly possession we know of that he left behind, I tore apart his other clothes, was his robe. A blood-stained robe. And that represents the righteousness of Christ. And we must take that up. He's left that for us. He tears his own. Did he get that? He tears his own garments. And he takes up Elijah's. Isn't that what we do? All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. And we take up what Christ has left for us. And then he goes back to the Jordan River. And he takes the mantle of Elijah and he strikes the waters. And he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And that wasn't a question or doubt. He's basically claiming a promise. He says, you promised if I saw... I saw, now I want to see the evidence of that power. By the way, he had to get across the Jordan anyway. And so God parted for him again, and again he goes over on dry ground. And from then on, if you read in the Bible, it looks like Elisha does twice as many miracles as Elijah. He received a double portion of his spirit. Matter of fact, he's one of my favorite subjects in the Old Testament. I challenge you to find one time in the Bible when someone came to Elisha with a predicament and he didn't help him. Everybody that came to him for help, everyone that came to him and asked, received. Didn't matter if it was a sinking axe head or that the food didn't taste good or that the water didn't taste good or if there was a famine in the land of Israel. Whenever they came to Elisha, he answered. Remember, Jesus is like Elisha also. Can we still ask him today? Does he want to answer our prayers? You know what's the most eloquent thing that we can offer when we pray to God? Sincerity. Sincerity goes a long way. Praying from your heart, talking to him like your friend, having some desperate need. The more desperate, more earnest, more sincere you are, it gets the heart of God. And God is wanting to do great things for us. I believe he wants to pour out his Holy Spirit. Would God he would do it during this weekend. Amen is pour out his spirit on this assembly where we're seeking after God. Promise is, you'll search for me and you f- you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And if this week, if we're taking time to pray and really seek after God, I believe he wants to pour out the spirit. Let me close with a story. Back during the Civil War, there was this infamous prison of war camp that was operated by the Confederate soldiers in a place called Andersonville. It was probably the most notorious. It was tantamount to a a concentration camp because they built it for 10,000 prisoners. And that little spit of ground ended up, towards the end of the war, they had 32,000 northern prisoners there in ground that was meant to have 10,000. And the conditions there were absolutely appalling. Most of the men, the only thing they had as far as protection or clothing was whatever they had when they were captured. They took some of the blankets and made tents out of them. Their clothes were absolute rags. Most of the men who had been there for years were just virtually naked. They weren't given anything. In the wintertime, it was freezing cold. Thousands of them died. They didn't have clean sanitation. And there was a little place where a creek sort of dribbled through the camp, and it was fouled because of all these men. It was a virtual sewer, and that's all they had for water. They didn't give them any water other than the filth that ran through the camp. It was just absolutely pitiful. Summertime, that would dry up, and the men would just be out there baking, and uh, the conditions were some of the most appalling. Just to give you an idea, and I don't want to take this too far, the only war criminal that was executed, Lincoln was very compassionate, the only war criminal that was executed after the Civil War was the warden of Andersonville because it was so egregious what they did to the soldiers there. At the end of one summer, when the men were absolutely baking and they were desperate, they decided to call a prayer meeting and to ask for rain, because they were dying. They needed water. And a bunch of men got together in the middle of the camp, thousands of them, and they had a prayer meeting. And they prayed and prayed all day long. And it was a totally brazen sky, no clouds in the sky. Some of the Confederate soldiers were, were mocking them because they were praying. And. Uh, but they prayed, and they believed that God was going to hear their prayer. And they saying, send rain, send water. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the sky just started turning dark, and clouds moved in, and they turned into thunderheads, and it began to absolutely pour. And not only did it pour, it poured, and it poured, and it just washed the camp. And it washed the men, and it gave them enough water where they were able to drink, and they were washing their clothes. And to top that all off, thunder and lightning began to come. And one lightning bolt hit right in the middle of the camp. And it hit the ground, and water began to come out of the ground where the lightning hit. And it brought out a spring, and that spring is still running today. It's called Providence Spring, and you can go and look at it there at the uh, the ruins of Andersonville. And even after the rain went by, that spring ran until the end of the war, providing fresh water in the middle of the camp for the men. And it's just a first-class miracle. And what did they do? They were desperate, and they prayed. I wonder if we are that desperate for cleansing, if we're that desperate for the refreshing of the Holy Spirit, uh, he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness will be filled. Are you thirsty? Would you like to be filled with the Spirit? we got to ask. we got to ask with all our heart. God is more willing to give than we are to ask. We need to pray that He'll make us more willing to ask. Amen? Amen. Why don't we close uh, this session with prayer? Maybe we could kneel again as we pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I I in my own heart have been stirred by this message again and again. And Lord, we begin by just asking that you forgive us for our indifference, forgive us for our apathy about your offer of the greatest gift. Not only have you already sealed this offer by sending your son to be evidence of how much you want to give us the spirit, but when Jesus ascended, he sent the spirit. We know that he's not retracted that promise and that you are still telling us, ask. Lord, increase our faith. Help us to ask for big things. Help us to ask for the most important things. Guidance regarding a life of ministry, a willingness to be filled with your spirit, being faithful in the little things that we can be faithful in the most important, being spirit-filled Christians. Uh, Bless each person here in their lives. You know how to apply this message, Lord. And I pray again you'll pour out your spirit on our meetings that will follow and this whole weekend that your spirit will just come down on this conference, this whole convention. Be with every speaker and all that are listening. Help your love to be sensed and felt in our midst. We ask in Christ's name, amen. This media was produced by AudioVerse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org